This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, everyone. My name is Sophie Frere. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Lisa, which is actually short for Live Shopping Assistant. And what I most love about the future of e-commerce is that we are actually right now at this pivotal moment where it's going to completely transform. Uh, we're actually very firm believers that it's going to move towards community-driven commerce. And we're super excited that with Lisa, actually, we're at the forefront of changing it. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fashion Is Your Business. Here we are back with you again. Uh, so glad that you're here. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and I'm very happy to see you again. It's been a little bit. It's been a minute. Mr. Puvin Ball. Hey, Puvin. Hey, Mark. How you doing, man? Good. Welcome back to New York. I know that you were uh, down in Mexico. Yeah, I took a few while. days in Tulum. Much much needed kind of uh, R&R, I guess, without the kiddo. What is your favorite thing to do when you're in Mexico in general? Like what, what kind of ritual do you like to do? Uh, well, I'll say most of my travels uh, revolve around food and artwork. So I'll most, uh, particularly street art. So um, yeah. I usually rent a bike or a moped and we scout out food. Uh, my wife and I will scout out food and street oh, art. That's really so that's really what we did. Cool. And then in between a lot of, uh, a lot of laying on the beach. So that was it. Wow. That's really cool. I've only been to Mexico twice and both were in Cancun and both staying at a nice resort. So I've never really experienced regular Mexico, real, real actually being in Mexico. I've just... I've just experienced the Americanized tourist version. Well, dude, Tulum is a bizarro world, and it is also not real Mexico. But if you go into Tulum City, it does feel a little bit more like uh, real life, I guess, or actual urban setting. But I feel like a a lot of these areas that we venture to um, are overly developed and commercialized. But but I mean, they serve a purpose, right? They're the hospitality is incredible, and you know the and that's what you go for. Well, it's great to experience the true authenticity of of a country. And you know, speaking of authentic, I think that kind of you know the real experience that sort of leads us into our guest. I think. And the funny thing is, that was not a planned segue. But Mark, I was going to say this was brilliant. When did you think of this? I <laughs> swear to God, think? in a minute. I'm very sharp this morning. <laughs> uh, Sophie, welcome to the show, all the way from Germany. Where in Germany are you? In Düsseldorf. Most people don't Düsseldorf. know Düsseldorf. Also, yeah, Düsseldorf. Genau, Very genau. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. Oh, sehr gut. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, enough of that. Uh, Sophie, <laughs> we're so happy that you are here. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm actually, in addition to, it's very nice to meet you, uh, and congratulations, you are one of the uh, members of the current cohort of the Na- uh, New York Fashion Tech Lab. Yes, very exciting. That, that is very cool. Yep. What a great organization that is. And uh, in full disclosure, Pavan, you are one of are you one of the advisors this year? Uh, yeah. So actually, how this interview came together, as well as our uh, subsequently our next one today, um, is that yeah, I'm a, I'm a mentor, a part of the mentor mm. program of the New York Fashion Tech Lab for several years now. And Sophie and I got matched up, and um, you know when we we're looking to coordinate some time 
to to learn more about her what product and see yeah what better way i was like you know what are you available on thursday <laughs> so jump let's on mic together let's do it in front of the world sophie let's do it in front of the world i mean it, it, so but but the reality is is that i wanted this conversation this discovery yeah. to be organic on mic versus um, you know having a conversation with her then inviting her on and and having that same conversation it right. feel a little bit too refined or edited so we're glad you're here sophie and i'm particularly excited about it too because uh, and a number of interviews that, that I've recently done on this show and on other shows, uh, there's absolutely no question that live streaming has been coming up more and more as what people are looking at as uh, a method of commerce of the future. It is the very next thing that's already in motion. And so to have a chance to, uh, to talk with you, uh, someone that's actually a provider of a, a really cool solution for it. Uh, it's a great way to, to take a look at it. So I guess I'd love to lead off with this question. Um, I, I'm sort of interested through your lens. Is this solution in response to a need that's been identified and therefore this is providing the solution to the need? Or is the ability to now do this essentially creating a need now that people say, wait, you can do this. Oh, I need that. So uh, do you want me to answer directly to the question uh, or maybe just a quick intro? Um, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Lisa. And at Lisa, as you correctly said, we create uh, live shopping experiences within the e-commerce of retailers. Um, and huh, what was there first? It's always like, it's like the chicken and egg question. What was there first? Customer demand or retailers or, you know, e-commerce players willing to do well, this? Well, how, how did you think about it when you, when you, the first day, l let me, let me clarify the question then. W when the first day, when you and your, your, your co-founders uh, said, you know what we need to do? We need to make this, let's build a company, let's build a solution. You know, what was the genesis of deciding that that was necessary? <laughs> Does it come from, I think if we build it, um, people need this? Or if it's like, gosh, people say they need this and there aren't, there isn't the right solution out there, let's make it. No, absolutely. So uh, actually my co-founder and I are also husband and wife, <laughs> full oh. disclosure. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> and so <laughs> Philip and I have been thinking about this for 10 years, actually. And um, even before this was a big thing in China, which of course it already is. And, you know, I'm happy to talk more about that later. But what this originally came from is that Philip and I both see ourselves as kind of innovators in the retail space. He grew up in a family business and uh, a small family business that did retail. I worked in big box retail for 10 years and I was doing my MBA on the side and I was writing my thesis about digitization, actually of luxury brands. And, you know, we were having all these crazy ideas about how in the future, hopefully someday, you know, e-commerce retailers will ask themselves, how can I actually enhance the experience for my customers online to make it more engaging, authentic, you know, people want to talk to real people, how can we make it fun? You know, the same way they were asking themselves 20 years ago, how could they make the shopping experience in-store fun? We kind of said one day the question will come, right? That it would take 10 years for the Western world to get there, not something we anticipated. Um, and yeah, and I think one of the last things I wrote about in, in my MBA thesis was that one day there would be warehouses where all sorts of brands selling fashion, beauty products, DIY products, what have you, would be doing 24-7 live shopping out of through live streams. Of course, my marketing professor then was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and that's actually what sparked it. And um, 
what Philip and I never understood really is that people were betting on technologies to enhance, you know, e-commerce shopping experiences like VR and AR, which makes a lot of sense for a lot of use cases, which I totally get. But we kept asking ourselves, yes, but live streaming, you can talk to a huge audience and it's real people talking to real people in real time. It's authentic. It's unscripted. How is that not a big thing, you know? And um, yeah, that's, that's what sparked it. You know, Sophie, to your point, I mean, uh, China's been using live stream quite successfully to the point where, you know, platforms like Alibaba and JD, um, well, Alibaba specifically is reporting almost $51 billion mm -hmm. in conversion just from, mm -hmm. I think they use Taobao um, live. And, and there's, I mean, there's a number of, of, of different platforms that enable uh, live stream shopping, it's almost become ubiquitous with e-commerce yes. there. Yeah. And um, where, where do you see that same sort of rollout and that same participation here in the Western world? Absolutely. I get asked that question a lot. So yes, I absolutely see the same uptake among consumers and people loving this format here uh, as in China. It's kind of like the question, you know, would online shopping work in China and the US? Yes, it would. Would Instagram or social media work in either places? Yes, it would. Would TV shopping have worked back in the days in either places? Of course it did. But the delivery, of course, can be a bit different. The content might feel a bit different. The user experience might feel a bit different. That's sort of one aspect. And the other sort of main difference between China and here is the infrastructure of the e-commerce sector, where, of course, in China, you have like a few big players that are able to drive change at a speed that is incredible to us, right? So as to what you were just saying, actually in 2020, 17% of all e-commerce transactions in China happened through live streams. So that's almost one in five purchases. That's how ubiquitous, I know it's, I mean, they have entire towns where influencers or so-called KOLs slash live streamers live and work from 12 hours a day. They just live stream 12 hours a day. So that's the dimension we have there, right? Here, uh, and by here, when I speak of here, our sort of target markets are Europe and the US. So that's when I say here what I mean. Uh, actually, we just found a new statistics from Coresite Research that said they project that live shopping or you know e-commerce through live streams will reach a volume of 11 billion US dollars in 2021. And that's from virtually zero last year. So if you look at that acceleration, yes, definitely. <laughs> We're getting there too. <laughs> Is the intent behind Lisa to provide white label kind of experiences like out of the box kind of plug and play? Here's your live shopping experience for your e-commerce uh, marketplace or tell me a bit about the product and its use cases. <laughs> You're alluding actually to a product we're just about to release. Um, so in the last one and a half years, uh, we worked with retailers and in a sort of first phase gave them products which they could sort of plug and play API free. Uh, and just sort of experiment with live shopping and how if they did shows for their audiences, they would react to it, how they would pick on, it up. On your, own, on your own platform, correct? No, so it, it is indeed, uh, it would sit on the subdomain actually of the e-retailer, mm -hmm. not on ours, but yes, it would be pointed at our servers and in that sense, we host the experience. Um, and what's happening now is that these experiences are being integrated ever more deeply, let's say, for example, in app or even more seamlessly into the customer journey. Like if you like a product in a live show powered by Lisa, it would actually be added to the wish list on the e-retailer's website. And so it's even more seamless. And what we're actually launching now um, is a turnkey solution for marketplaces. So I don't know, have you guys ever seen Amazon Live or heard of Amazon Live? 
So it's essentially a turnkey solution, and this is really entirely hypothetical, just to be clear. But if Walmart decided to launch Walmart Live, uh, they could take this product of ours and they could create like a super admins, if you will, a Walmart Live program where they would invite the brands or the content creators on their platform to have their own Walmart Live studios. And they could just go live on walmart.com whenever and how often they would like and they would be creating their own content. So essentially a, a sort of live shopping powered community building tool, if you will, for retailers. Yeah, I mean, I, I, lo I love what you mentioned about, you know, like drop culture and like, you know, limited edition releases and things of that nature. And just kind of the idea of a platform like a StockX being able to essentially, um, so even resellers, right, um, mm -hmm. be able being able to to go on there and, and, and do live kind of, Hey, for this next 15 minutes, it's available or 20 minutes while we're doing this live stream. Um, I, I have a question in terms of your, like your product development path, you know, because, you know, you've kind of seen the precedent be set in terms of what works and what doesn't work in, uh, East Asia. Uh, how did, how did you approach it? Like, what did you take in terms of, um, you know, your observations on what was happening there on how you're building your path uh, for the Western market? Mm -hmm. um, well, from our perspective, we've been looking at what consumers want for a long time. And if you looked at just indicators of how people were acting in an online environment, uh, so for example, 82% of uh, viewers on Facebook already preferred to watch a live stream than read a post in 2019, so pre-COVID times, right? Um, so there was all these indicators. People felt that brands were losing touch with the human element in their digital experiences, that consumers were completely ready for this, right? And it's COVID, actually, when that came, what it did is that it essentially forced retailers to really take a hard look at how they're offering experiences to their customers online. And that sort of accelerated the adoption by e-retailers of these new formats. And from our perspective, so because... Uh, you know, I worked in a big box retailer for 10 years beforehand, and I actually helped build up the innovation department there, where I was sitting on the other side of the table, working with lots of startups that came to us with solutions. Um, there was the massive advantage that when we designed the product, we had a lot of ideas on how it needs to be designed so that it could really fit completely seamlessly into, you know, retailers' environments and sort of what the decision levers are to trial a product by a startup yes or no for example ideally no api so my tech team doesn't have to do anything <laughs> for me to trial it and um yeah a few things like that so that helped us to sort of take the things that we saw working in china in terms of user experience understanding what users here or customers here would like in terms of a yes look and feel to it but at the same time understanding what e-retailers would need to even give this a shot yeah, I mean, what what does a retailer need to execute, let's say, at a high level? And I'm talking about from an infrastructure build. Mm -hmm. So beyond uh, engaging with Lisa or another provider that does live stream shopping services, um, you know, what is kind of best practices to get set up to be able to enable their community of whether it be influencers, brands, um, to to activate, right? So is that a content studio? Is um, is is there a specific website? Um, kind of optimization that they need to go through. Um, what, have, what have you seen that works the best? As long as they have an, let's say infrastructure wise, it's quite simple. As long as they have an online shop, which is working, um, they can build their own live shopping channel. Then the next question is indeed, uh, 
you know, do they want to be hosting live events themselves and curating the content themselves, or do they want to leverage their community, whoever it may be, to be to create the content? So that's sort of question number two. And then question number three is execution in the sense that if the brand decides to create the content itself and it wants to be the person or the brand, you know, that is doing the live event, how do they want it to look and feel? And that's a really interesting point that I'm actually seeing also differences between the US and Europe <laughs> and also between product categories and sectors in terms of what, what they uh, intuitively feel they should be doing. And there's quite a difference. And it's actually, uh, so just more recently, I've started writing a bit up about like, I don't know, the top 10 myths of live shopping. And one thing which I'm hearing a lot lately, especially in the US is, okay, we'll have to build up a studio like QVC. And we're like, no, guys, uh-uh. authenticity is, is key. And user-generated content actually is what people want to see. So, you know, actually, if you have brand testimonials or even sales people that are great in front of the camera, you know, a good smartphone, good lighting, a nice set, and you're ready to go. That's really all the audience needs, right? You know, I, I find it fascinating. I, I agree. I think that the the gloss and the edit over here in the U.S. is definitely prioritized, uh, especially when you talk about big box retailers, right? I think that the more nimble brands in the DTC have been very effective in doing just the opposite of that and finding that strategy being effective, especially during COVID times, right? There's no other option. Um, but what what I'm thinking is, you know, if I'm a trade show, let's say a product trade show, New York Now is a big one over here. And as a as a vendor or an exhibitor of products, I'm wondering how live stream shopping fits into the ecosystem of trade shows where I can now, because everything's going hybrid, right? Like if I want to attend a trade show, I don't necessarily have to do that in person. And going forward, I don't believe it'll ever be the case. Um, but having the ability of, you know, a small audience uh, in person at your trade show and a digital extension for online and that same buyers or same maybe even end consumers can then purchase in the product. And like, I don't know if we're there yet. I know we, we had interviewed a, a company called brand 360 uh, on fashion is your business some time back. And they, I mean, they're building like really beautiful uh, AR, you know, uh, virtual environments for exhibitors to, to be on the digital front, but they didn't have anything that, that connected the, the commerce site mm -hmm. in real time, like uh, live events, essentially mm -hmm. live shopping events. Um, is that something you've thought about uh, or thought through in the past? Interestingly, that's one of the first things we did last year without it actually being mm. something that we proactively sought out. So actually Avon came to us, uh, Avon in the US, and it was their head of the events department that said, yeah, we usually have you know twice a year these huge events where our brand representatives come to discover the newest product launches. We educate them. Of course, we have some fun, like it's this whole community thing. It's kind of like a trade conference, but if you will, an internal one, right? Uh, but it still was a trade conference in that the you know objective was that the brand uh, representatives that come there actually end up buying the product and then go back and sell it to their you know communities at home. And uh, when they first reached out and they said, yeah, so we want to move it online and we think we want to use a solution like yours. And, you know, we were just sort of setting up our first five customers with like audiences with ranging from 200 to like you know, maybe 3,000, 4,000 people. 
And we're like, so what are you expecting? They're like, oh, you know, a couple of thousand up to <laughs> whatever. And we're like, yeah, sure, no problem. We can do that. <laughs> uh, and so we did. And we, um, yes, of course, there was a bit more integration, whatever involved. But so they did their first uh, full weekend event in, I think it was August, end of August last year. Um, they made six digit in revenues and sales, which was more than they'd ever done for the physical event. Because exactly as you said, more people could attend because they didn't have to pay for the travel costs. Um, and they did a great job. They had like a DJ and drink session and then they released like a certain type of product. And then they had a, you know, learning session on how to be a better salesperson. And then they released another kit and they just curated it so nicely. They did such a great job. And that's how we learned that indeed um, that can be a really interesting way to yeah, bring order events, if you will, online. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated in that. I I wonder how because you know a lot of the work that we've been focusing on at Bill with the Culture has been on you know bringing gatherings digital, and now as we're finding the need for it to kind of reemerge into let's say they call it hybrid formats, I'd like to just call it an event, you know, with different access points essentially. And we're thinking about it constantly. Is like how how do we create uh, unique experiences that feel integrated just just how we were thinking about e-commerce as like you know your website your mobile and you know um and your store uh you know went from independent or individual experiences to then omni-channel then now to unified commerce where it really does feel like a fully integrated experience or brand experience and i'm wondering how live shopping kind of fits into all of those different buckets because you can facilitate small events or even larger events, but then have them exist, the conversion exist online quite fluidly in real time. Actually, we even, uh, I fully agree, and we even take it one step further. So the difference between China and here is that in China, there was never a strict separation between what is social media, what is e-commerce, and what is payment solutions, right? So e-retailers from the get-go understood the sort of importance of community and so Alibaba had KOLs, opinion leaders, influencers, whatever you want to call them, as part of their platform from the very beginning and they from the very beginning leveraged them to start selling through live streaming to the rest of the you know customers on the platform. So essentially Alibaba was always also a social media platform, right? Uh, WeChat always had a sort of buying plug-in function that brands could sell through and payment was integrated as well. The, you know, and, and customer service, right? I mean, everything, everything was on WeChat. Your whole world is on WeChat. Fully, fully seamless. You know, the Dujin, the um, I'm probably mm -hmm. saying it wrong, but the Chinese, you know, pre mother, if you will, of TikTok, was always shoppable. Like, you know, and so over here, what we're finally seeing now, and that's the interesting part, and that's one of the reasons live stream shopping is really kicking off now, right? Because finally, we're having more fluidity between the concepts, meaning that. And that's also our big hypothesis at Lisa, that the future of e-commerce is community commerce. And, you know, that means that big retailers now still have an opportunity to leverage the community they already have and actually create an engaged community online um, now, right? Like in a few years down the road, they're going to have a lot of incumbents uh, in their product spaces, let's say, for like individual verticals where communities will form, which will, of course, have an e-commerce integration as well, and, of course, have social experiences, like it will all become one. 
And so now is this transition phase. And that's why we're so excited about this, because basically we want to enable and be the backbone driving all of this in no matter which format, basically, right? We're happy to help anybody, uh, you know, to, to enable this. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell. And you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at StoryDot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. Platforms like, let's say, Facebook, because they're the, let's say, the, the gorilla in the room. I mean, their product teams are constantly looking at what's kind of buzzworthy and iterating quickly. So first started, I mean, we saw it with, with TikTok directly. Uh, we saw it with, um, even now with Clubhouse, their release of, you know, group live and things of that nature, direct kind of defenses towards new tech rollouts. Um, they, of course, already have uh, shopping uh, enabled uh, within uh, Facebook and, and, and subsequently Instagram. Um how does this fit into your vision in terms of are you building a technology uh, that, you know, is is primed for acquisition or are you building a technology that essentially would um, exist independently? In relation to social media, we often get asked by brands or retailers, you know, whether we see ourselves as either or or whether they should either use, you know, social commerce features, uh, including live shopping features on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, or build their own channel. And I always find that an interesting question because, um, you know, what we tend to ask them is, well, you know, how much percentage of your customers today actually follow you, for example, on Instagram? And the answer tends to be like, you know, maybe 10%. And I said, okay, so what about the other 90% of your customers? Do they not deserve, you know, a fun experience and to be engaged? So, Usually what, and I fundamentally believe this, I think these are completely complementary services, if you will, or strategies uh, that brands or retailers can can uh, execute. So I might reach a certain type of audience on TikTok, and it makes total sense that I use, you know, TikTok live shopping or whatever um, and do special events maybe on that platform because I want to reach a certain audience that I hope that one day will become my customer when they grow older, whatever it may be. Same thing goes for Instagram. You know, the actual commerce features on these platforms sometimes are a bit limited. You know, they can't uh, give you the full checkout experience as you would have if you were on the retailer website. So as soon as you have variants, for example, in a product, you can't really, it's difficult to actually check out through Instagram, for example. But nonetheless, I really see it as complementary. Um, so I don't see us as at all actually as being in competition, if you will, with social media. I, I really think everything can coexist next to each other. And it just depends on how a retailer wants to reach with which audience at which time with which content that they can, you know, use one or the other or both. And in terms of our sort of technology roadmap and where we see all of this heading, uh, we're very interested in a sort of second step. Uh, we're already exploring this. Um, you know, there's other stakeholders out there beyond retailers and brands to whom live commerce is extremely relevant. For example, media, 
in the sort of broader sense, right, all online media players, then content creator networks, influencer agencies, affiliate programs, then payment and loyalty apps, also very, very interesting because they sit on big communities, they have lots of information about what people like, and, you know, who would be interested in watching a show by brand XYZ and driving maybe the traffic to it. So in a sort of second step, our vision is indeed to become like a central platform coordinating the activities between all these stakeholders in the market. Not And yes, Lisa being a brand that coordinates things in the background, not necessarily Lisa becoming a end customer facing brand. No, that not necessarily. Okay, so no marketplaces in your future where you're going to hold, I guess, your own classes and things of that nature? Well, I think... Or maybe a collective of all your clients' classes? But, you know, the hypothesis there kind of contradicts um, our core hypothesis, which is that e-commerce will restructure around communities and communities will be a group of people that have common interests. They will cluster and find each other online. And if I now say I'm going to build a live shopping marketplace, like what's the USP? You know, why would people come there? There's there's some that execute incredibly well, like the network, right? Because they target a specific audience with D2C live shopping, a specific community, and that can work really well. But to say that, you know, once we have 100 retailers on Lisa, let's suddenly, you know, take over the consumer touch point. I don't believe in that because just live shopping in itself is not going to be, you know, a USP enough. Um, that's our pers- my personal belief. So, <laughs> No, I'm with you also. I mean, I've been preaching for a number of years that community is content and uh, community is commerce. Um, everything starts and ends. I mean, I first started talking about it as a defense metric for brands. Uh, build your own community and they'll, they'll follow you uh, through the thick and thin. Um, and now it's become more about your community will drive your content and your engagement and, and kind of everything. So that should be the foundation of all brands. So, uh, yeah, I could, I could see that now as a, as a flow through to commerce is, you know, ultimately I'm seeing that, you know, stuff with like dropship becoming way more fluid and uh, the ability to, to host marketplaces without inventory, uh, and then, uh, again, use your influence and your clout to be able to get the message out. It, the, the whole thing, the distribution uh, of ability is uh, tremendous within commerce. And it's exciting. It really is. You know, I think about your name of the company, Lisa, and I think <laughs> about that one of the first descriptors you see on your website as you're introduced to to the company and the, and the product uh, is the word joyous. And I'm kind of curious, between those two things, Lisa, which is a nice informal, hey, this is your friend, this is accessible <laughs> feeling, at least to me, that's how it reads, to choose a name like that. And then the second thing is um, uh, to have that word joyous as one of the two primary descriptors. How are you thinking about Lisa as, where is its place in the world of commerce and live streaming beyond here is the technological service we provide? Um, why did you think about it that way and why did it need to be that? Yeah, absolutely. So Lisa is actually short for Live Shopping Assistant and it worked uh, started as a project title a few years ago and then it just ah. stuck and it stuck and it stuck and eventually it became the company name and then eventually got listed on like, you know, startup rankings and then we're like, huh, I guess... We're keeping the name. <laughs> so, you know, um, hmm. 
that's that. Uh, is it ideal? I don't know. I mean, everybody can remember it. Uh, you know, it's it's you can pronounce it in any language. It's actually short again for live shopping assistant. So there is a sort of you know there's a reason it's called Lisa. So we stuck with it, and then of course people start calling me Lisa, which is fine because it's like total identification <laughs> with your product. It's, it, it's fine, right? Uh, so it it works, and now we really love it, and now we would never change it, right? So we're kind of at that point where that's who we are, and that's what it is, right? And as for the joyfulness, yes, that is what the whole point of this is, right? If we think back to why we as founders, Philip and I, are doing this, it's because we believe that online shopping should not be boring. It should be joyful. It should be, you know, a multi-sensory, if you will, experience. And people should have fun. They should be engaged and inspired and, yes, also informed, right? So that joyfulness aspect translates into Actually, everything we do, of course, the user experience, uh, how it's designed, which is why we're also so excited about looking into gamification features. Yes, of course, all of that will still come. You know, we don't want to overwhelm Western audiences, but That's right. it will come. <laughs> it will definitely come. Um, so, yes, that is absolutely the sort of core idea behind it and the reason we're doing it uh, to bring fun and engagement and entertainment, uh, you know, to e-commerce. And I mean, just the word e-commerce is so incredibly boring, right? So <laughs> how go. can we make it fun, right? E-commerce, like well, just the word commerce. Oh God. Anyway. <laughs> well, let's, let's just get to the point where people can say, why don't you just lease it? You know, that'll just become like, you know, Kleenex and, you know, whatever. It'd become the, come the, 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 the brand term version of terminology. Let, let's hope that happens. Well, so. that, that would, of course, be a dream come true. But of actually <laughs> also, also that being said, um, the other aspect being that because we're like retail kids, if you will, uh, ourselves, we realize that, you know, we want to really help e-retailers find a way that they can give this kind of experience to their communities, right? So it's really also about, yes, we always want to be spearheading and sort of be the sort of at the forefront, thinking ahead, what's going to come in the next five to 10 years. And then we want to help that, you know, environment be able to move there in a seamless, joyful, non-painful, you know, way. Um, so that's that's also the intention behind it. <laughs> Based on a couple of your comments, it seems like you have a pretty collaborative nature. Uh, you're looking at different um, technologies in terms of how they could tangentially work together and things of that nature. But even within your category, I mean, there is a lot of interest for obvious reasons um, in live stream shopping and building solutions for that. On this show, and even in the New York Fashion Tech Lab, just last year, they had a um, uh, a solution called The Call List that came through. And Amanda was on the show. Um, and again, similar, I'm sure your approaches are slightly different, um, but similar technology or, or you know the same kind of pain point that you're solving for. Do you find that folks like yourself and the call list and whoever else may be out there um, should be banding together in some capacities? Or is this still at a stage where it's so early that you need to kind of develop your own, um, test out your own hypothesis and then see kind of where the, the landscape lands after another year or so? I mean, that's kind of to me like, like the question, should there only be one e-commerce shop system for all, right? No, yep. because everybody needs something else and has a somewhat different angle. And Sort of our core differentiator is really this community commerce angle, which you might not see in action today yet, but that's where we think all of this is headed and where we're gearing it towards the joyfulness, the gamification aspect. So this whole sort of community commerce, social and the entertainment piece, that's kind of what's 
are sort of our North Star, if you will, guiding all of this. Um, of course, there's a pure tech opportunity, um, which a lot of people are sort of land grabbing right now. Um, but we really feel also just based on our sort of founders' histories, who we are and where we come from, that we're looking at it through a different lens and that will lead to somewhere very different. And we will have retailers or communities, whatever, that will find our product the right one for them and others will maybe choose well, what, a different one. <laughs> what about... What about events in the metaverse and mm -hmm. talking about Web 2.0, yeah. Web 3.0? Um, have you been approached by companies when you're if you're if you're considering gamification and, mm -hmm. and that you, you would be probably right in in that conversation? Uh, what are the conversations about doing events in the metaverse I, and live shopping? in the Yeah, metaverse? no, I am all for it. Uh, I guess we need to you know learn to walk before we can run. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, we grew very quickly, of course, in the last one and a half years. We're just in the middle of a fundraise. Uh, the ideas on what we would like to do are, of course, endless. And, um, yeah. you know, I, for example, just hypothetically, imagine like NFT auctions through live streams, right? I mean, you would have like, famous people presenting their new virtual whatever designer sneakers and then you could auction them through a live stream or i don't know what there's so many overlaps <laughs> well my, my friends over at custom house uh they have locations in new york and miami but they're already doing something called nft tuesdays where are they are live events mm -hmm. around um creation of art and the sale of mm -hmm. the art within the space in real time mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's why I ask about it. I'm just, from a curiosity standpoint, I understand that the priorities have to come as the priorities uh, come. But have you been getting any interest or requests uh, about that? I think this is the next stage. Like I think wave one was sort of generally also, of course, retail coming out of its shock freeze <laughs> from the last 12 months. And I think we're now getting into a phase where people are looking further into the future again. Right. And so this is coming now. And I think by the end, of, just by the sort of, as you say, requests that are coming in, now people are starting to think about, oh, wait a minute, A, this is not just a sort of gimmick that happened during COVID because people were bored. This is actually a, a huge thing and this will have a big impact on how people shop in the future, uh, regardless of COVID. And now we're getting into that phase where like, again, like in China, where everything from the beginning was one part of each other and a very fluid concept. We're only just slowly starting to open the sort of doors between the different silos, if you will. And social media is talking to commerce, is talking to the gaming sector, is talking to, you know, it, it's starting. Uh, that seems like uh, a very good moment to move on to off the grid questions where we, uh, we look at the human side of Sophie, as if this hasn't been the human side, Sophie, but maybe even more human right after this. <laughs> Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found.
It's time for questions off the grid. With fashion is your business. Okay, Sophie, it's time for off the grid questions where we go a little off the grid. We we get a little more personal in our questions. Um, we solve that uh, universal problem of what order do we ask the questions with a spin of our great big wheel of grid destiny. So we're going to give that wheel a spin, see who comes up on it first. It's going, it's going, it's going, and it is me. First question. Okay, so my question, Sophie, is let's go back to joyous, the idea of joyous. Okay. I want you to tell me, uh, this is a two-part question. Uh, what is the earliest joyful memory that you can recall in your life, even as a child? Uh, that just really stands out to you about a moment of just pure joy. And then I'm going to bookend that by what, you know, aside from, of course, participating in this interview, uh, what is the most recent truly joyful moment that you recall? Earliest and most recent. Mm-hmm. Um, earliest would probably be a sort of vague, distant memory <laughs> now. It's but okay. Um, being on vacation with my parents and actually spending quite a lot of time with my dad, uh, who at the time worked a lot and is also not among us anymore. So he was born 1926. So yeah, it's definitely a different generation, if you will. And um, being uh, at friends of theirs house, actually in the United States, um, and I remember my mother taking pictures of us where we were sitting on a dock, basically going into a lake. Um, and I still have those pictures, and that's why, of course, that's still quite a clear memory. And uh, just everybody generally being happy, you know, not working, a joyous occasion. So that that's probably one of the first. I think I was maybe three or so. So it's very, yeah, very happy memory. Um, and more recently, well, the first thing that came to mind was our wedding. <laughs> so uh, as I said, Philip and I are co-founders at Lisa and also married. We've known each other for 14 years, but we didn't tie the knot until about two and a half years ago. So we took yep. some time. Um, and that was a great moment, uh, not just because it was our wedding. And I mean, not, you know, probably everybody would say their wedding. But the sort of pre-story to that is that before we founded Lisa, we actually uh, had uh, another small venture together where we were experimenting in D2C e-commerce and uh, we were not successful with it. Uh, live shopping was one thing we were doing. Actually, I was selling kids fashion to customers all over the world through live streaming and that worked really well. And then, you know, we took that out and created the new company. But to sort of pick ourselves up, decide that, you know, even if we didn't manage to do this right, we'll get the next thing right and let's get married before that, you know, sort of committing to yeah. each other even after that. That was that was pretty That's cool. That's nice. <laughs> That's nice. So, I'm sorry, how long were you together before you got married? Oh, God, don't quote me. Um, oh, that's okay. Before we got married, before we got married, 13 years. Gotcha. Well, my wife and I were together 10 years before we got married a couple of years ago. So, <laughs> I, I understand that that dynamic and uh it really is interesting even after being together so long then you get married it it does feel a little different doesn't it it's a, it does. it's, a it's surprising but, wor so. but working together basically we figured if yes. we had like a contract together and we had a company together <laughs> we could navigate through not being successful together <laughs> uh true. marriage yeah. is like peanuts right compared to that which is not true but we felt like that would probably be true so <laughs> All right, another spin of the wheel. 
as if you could top that question, Pavin. But uh, <laughs> and and uh, oh, it does come to Pavin. So go ahead. Well, no, Sophie. I mean, uh, you, your background when you just kind of look through your your online bio, um, really, really deep expertise and experience in in digital uh, from from an education standpoint, but an experience standpoint, supply chain conversions. I mean, you name it. Uh, you've kind of work through uh, the different elements of digital commerce. And um, I just, I can't imagine that this is happening by accident that you decided like this is going to, I mean, you really have gone for it your entire professional journey. Um, I don't know where the Brown Brothers Harriman comes in. Uh, (laughs) They are a very, very large law firm here in New York. Um, It's a bank actually. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, a, mm. is it really a bank? Yeah, yes. I, I always thought Brown Brothers. No, no. Wow. I, I dabbled well in working on Wall Street for like six months in my life. Yeah, before I decided it's yeah, not for me. <laughs> yeah, they're they're down on Broadway next mm-hmm. to yeah, right in right in the center of it. Um, I, I'm wondering just kind of what the relationship was with you and and retail just growing up. Um, you know, it seems that one of your companies also has the same in the name has the same last name as you. So I, I feel like there's mm-hmm. a connection there. Can you kind of unwind uh, your relationship uh, with retail growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, you know, studied, did business studies in London. And then um, I had this opportunity to, at Brown Brothers Hireman, uh, go through their management development program, which I had applied to a year before. And I got, you know, accepted and I was thrilled. And I spent six months in New York um, in this environment. And honestly, I can truly say Brown Mother's Harriman was a, such a cool place to be and such a great company. There was such great people there. The momentum at the time, you could imagine working in New York, and you know, finance. I was 21, mind you, at the time. And um, there's just one thing I realized. Uh, a, there are other people that are better at this than I am, much better, especially from a sort of financial and mathematical perspective. And you know, being 21, I didn't realize that maybe a certain empathy and capacity to put yourself in other people's like positions and think things through a little bit differently would probably also be a very good, you know, feature to have in that environment. Um, and I don't know, I always felt like being close to customers and how people consume and the sort of psychology of why we do things and decide to buy things. But it's not so much about the buying itself. It's just that whole having fun whilst discovering and that just really really interested me and so I came back to Europe actually you know at the time it was you know a lot more sexy to become like a product manager or a brand manager at I don't know L'Oreal or whatever right so that's what I actually went for but I didn't get accepted anywhere (laughs) and then uh, Metro Group came along which was actually my hometown and I saw that they just launched a new trainee program for buying (laughs) procurement and I'm like well that's kind of far away but Nonetheless, it's like product related and maybe one day it will be people related. So I applied to that and uh, thankfully got in and I'll never forget. I was sitting in an office where a guy was chain smoking, you know, negotiating milk prices uh, on a daily basis with milk farmers. And I'm like, so this is what I gave New York up for. Okay, interesting. (laughs) Like, was this the right choice? I don't know. Um, But that's how I started sort of from scratch, if you will, in retail. And I loved it, like just the whole environment and, um, you know, loved spending time actually on the floor as well as close as customers uh, as possible. And then that progressed indeed into sort of the last sort of five years of the 10 years that I was at that company where I was doing jobs, a lot more customer experience design related. So really getting into customers way of thinking and creating experiences for them, which would really be joyful and meaningful. 
And yeah, that's, and then the digital component came into that in the last sort of three years in the innovation department. Yeah. Super. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, so Sophie, how can people connect with Lisa, uh, both, uh, you know, directly, maybe even from a strategic partnership standpoint, <laughs> as well as on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the website is easy to remember. It's hello-lisa.com. So <laughs> and there's obviously you can contact us through that. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn, follow Lisa on LinkedIn. It's literally just called Lisa. Just have to find the right one with the right logo. Um, yeah. And otherwise, uh, always reachable at info at hello-lisa.com. And yes, I do get those too. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Sophie, thank you so much for joining us uh, all the way from Germany. It was uh, sure a pleasure to meet you and really exciting to hear about the very cool thing that you guys have built. And it sounds like there's a really dynamic and joyful road ahead. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for having me. It's been a blast. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, good luck also in the New York Fashion Tech Lab. I hope that's everything that you hope for, and I'm sure it will be. Oh, it's really fun. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> All right, that's it for this episode. Uh, fashion me, is your business. We sure appreciate you uh, staying with us all the way to, all the way to the end, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next week for an all new episode. Until then, for Pub and Ball. All right, Sophie, look forward to uh, reconnecting with you. This does not replace um, <laughs> our need to uh, connect for the New York Fashion it's not Tech a Lab. But it's not a twofer. It'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll surely uh, make our next conversation way more productive. So look forward to that. And uh, thanks for everyone for, uh, for tuning in. All right, I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.